1: when I looked at my watch. It's 13 below zero. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, so we have finally gotten below zero in Wisconsin, and Wendy and Scott aren't even here to enjoy it. Right, they
2: wouldn't know anything about that, would you? We've fled.
3: Yeah, we're missing out.
0: Sorry, guys. (laughs)
2: Oh, so, so sorry. Yeah. Now, where are you?
0: We are in Los Angeles, California, and it's about 60 degrees here. And,
2: Only 60, uh, so you wear like a sweater and like a hoodie?
3: Yeah, It's pretty rough. It, it did rain the first day we were here, so uh, have sympathy.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. All but right. if you go outside, it won't kill you. Yeah. I mean, that's the difference.
0: <laughs> well, anyway. It's, uh, no, it's nice, and uh, sorry to hear about the snowstorm back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, it's no big deal. You know, it's been a really easy winter so far. So it just all came in one weekend. Yeah, right. And so we had basically winter winter started in one weekend, and we're not one to complain, it's just I had to get up and go to the gym this morning. Right. So that I saw the negative thirteen below, the idea of moving outside scared the crap out of me. Yeah. But the thing is, it wasn't paranormal crap scared out of me. Right. Have you guys gone on any paranormal adventures where you might have pooped a touch?
3: Uh, No, we've been uh, paranormal sightseers, really. We haven't been investigating, but we've been visiting. We've gone to quite a few really fun places. Um, You know, just last week, I think it was, we talked about the Black Dahlia, and we visited the uh, Millennium Biltmore Hotel, which we've been to in the past as well, but still, it's just always so amazing to see. But that was the last place that Elizabeth Short was seen alive. And something that I loved from it is, you know, they had hosted the Oscars a time or two way back in the golden era Hollywood days, they've got their, you know, wall of fame, their hall of fame of just like glamour photos and all this. And they actually have a photo of Elizabeth Short kind of honoring her that she was last seen at this building. So it's kind of neat that they weren't glossing over the dark part of their history too, that they were, you know, she's part of their history and they weren't uh, shying away from that.
0: Which was interesting because we didn't see that the last time we were there.
3: I didn't notice it at least. I I can't imagine I would have walked past it and not noticed it. Yeah. It really jumped out to me. Yeah, that's not, that sounds like fun,
1: a little, a little true crime pilgrimage uh, to a true crime location. Uh, yeah. Any, any other specifically haunted places you guys have visited so far?
0: Well, <laughs> we went to Pasadena, and uh, while we were there, we, of course, drove past the infamous Suicide Bridge, which is a, kind of a neat construction, but very mm-hmm. spooky, knowing how many people have ended their own lives there.
3: Yeah, I mean, triple digits.
1: You guys weren't just like hanging out under the bridge yelling, go
3: ahead, jump, or anything like that, right?
0: No, we didn't actually go. We just, we saw it. We drove past it. And we didn't like okay. walk across it or anything like that.
3: Yeah, many a times though. But I mean, it's unreal. I mean, w- the bridge opened around the time of the Great Depression, which makes sense why it was like instantly associated with suicide. People started mm. jumping off it as the stocks were plummeting. And, um, but it- it's startlingly still a very regular occurrence. I've uh, been booked to give speeches there that have been delayed by suicides. It's uh there's still very active uh wait, loss wait of life so that,
1: like on the bri- like so you, you weren't delivering a speech like on the bridge and then somebody's like, "Hey Scott, hold on a second. We got to let this person finish."
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there's uh photographs of me at this little park right next to the bridge and the fire equipment, uh the emergency equipment behind me as they were kind of they in this instance, they talked someone down. Um, but then I found out that later that night, that same night, some, a different person went and actually did jump. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's still a scary place. And that's not paranormal, but there are right. ghost stories about people walking around along the bridge and in the ravine below.
0: And then the other spooky Pasadena place that we went to, which has a really dark history <laughs> and a name to match, was the Devil's Gate Dam. And we did some hiking around there.
3: And this is, you guys talked about this. We'll have to look up the episode number, but uh, this is the area where Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard were getting freaky trying to bring the yeah. Antichrist into existence. It was their love cave.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Is is the parsonage still around?
3: It is gone. It is now an apartment complex. And it would be fascinating to see, because they were doing so much, who knows what kind of ritualistic things they were practicing at home before they took it into the cave uh, to, to continue on <laughs> with their Elster Crowley worship. But yeah, might the the physical space where his home was, which is now an apartment building, is there f- bizarre stuff going on there? I've never heard of anything, but, you know, it would stand to reason.
0: Yeah. And the Devil's Gate Dam area has folklore going back to Native American heritage, so it's not just that.
3: Yeah. It's- it, I don't know, it's a really... I, I always uh, describe Pasadena as a town from a taste, but holy hell, just below the surface, everything is insanely dark and twisted and weird. Well, I figured it was evil, because that's where the Big Bang Theory takes place.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, it, it's wild. Uh, I, first off, to think, you know, Jack Parsons, he was this kind of brilliant guy that created solid-state rocket fuel and modernized rocket launching and all this, but also he was kind of looking up to... Elster Crowley working with L. Ron Hubbard to do all of this cult type stuff.
2: Right. Yeah, ceremonial magic. Yeah, you know, he such um, magic. manifested rocketry and then manifested some other interesting <laughs> things as well.
1: Yeah, well Dean Dean that be you know, Dean Raden would be like, Well of course.
2: Yeah, because the
1: the ceremonies work, and and that's that. You need to do the ceremony. You need to get buck naked in the middle of a pentagram, kill a goat, and then some magic's gonna happen. (laughs) And you know, Jack Parsons. I still even talking about it still freaks me out because after that episode, I had like a whole like five. Unlucky mm. things happen and in Mike's the Mike's not
0: a superstitious really? person. And so. The, no,
1: I'm the, not a guy. I don't the believe curse in curse of this,
2: Jack Parsons.
1: I believe that Jack Parsons <laughs> cursed me that week. When we were working on the episode. And then, like, we titled the song after the specific entity that he was trying to conjure. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you conjured and it. Everything just. Yeah, and then something, and he because he said he's like she's you know he was saying that this entity, and I'm not saying it. Oh my God, I'm just as superstitious as Dave Schrader was when he wouldn't tell me about the <laughs> uh, the demon house entity. I'm just I'm talking like him, yeah. and I thought he was such a wuss at the time. I'm like, come on, dude, demons are real. <laughs> and now uh, look but at you. I don't even want to say her name because because Jack Parsons said that she brought bad luck. To him, she was the reason that his life fell apart. The Scarlet Woman. Yes, the Scarlet. That that Scottish play, The Scarlet Woman. (laughs) Uh, So so I just, I just, it it just creeps me out to still talk about it. So it's funny, you know. um, That is one thing that's going to make me superstitious. Is uh, Jack Parsons. And we'll uh,
3: we'll we'll definitely maybe today before the this episode is up. So if anybody's listening to this now, you can jump on over to the See You on the Other Side Instagram page, and we'll uh, post some photos there. And uh, we'll see if you can get some bad luck out of it. Sure to hit that hard button. the yeah. luck.
1: <laughs> we're spreading yeah. the bad luck around. Well, maybe we're Spread passing it
2: off. around. We're
1: passing it off like oh, the, like the ring. The ring. Yeah.
2: Seven days.
1: Yeah, you got seven days to get bad. luck. all right. Well, it sounds like fun. Well, I'm glad you guys are having some paranormal adventures. Um, we're having some Frosty the Snowman <laughs> adventures up here. Yeah. Well, we got hot news. Hot news today. And there's plenty of weird stuff that's been going on uh, in the world this week. You know, we haven't talked about this in the show yet, but I kind of wanted to bring it up today because it's been filling my Facebook feeds and my, my Twitters mm-hmm. as people talking about the new History Channel show, Project Blue Book.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: And... Allison you were at the Chicago premiere of Project Blue Book. I
2: was, at? and I just actually watched the second ep- episode last night. And his little finger—no,
1: <laughs> you he, no, he saw on the big screen, little finger. I mean, Aiden Gillen wasn't there, right? Like, no, I if he had good-looking no, person no, or whatever. he, he, he kind of um, looks
2: mousy. The—the—the the, the actress that plays the wife was there, and the actress that plays the lieutenant that assists Jay Allen Heineck was okay. there, but not the actor that plays Jay Allen Heineck. But Jay Allen Heineck's actual son was there. Oh, okay. and, and
1: the thing is, it, this continues in the great tradition of uh, American shows over the past, um, I don't know, decade, where they take quintessential American characters and they have an uh, a actor from the U.K. playing.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, That's, like
1: Superman yeah. is a Brit. Uh, Aidan Gillen is Irish. Um, ah. Rick Grimes from The Walking Dead and his disgusting uh, Southern <laughs> accent uh, is English. And so, right. It's
2: yeah, a, well, now it's they're like,
1: taking on uh, <laughs> Heinic, who oh, I think is a, is a great American hero.
2: Right, right. Well, it's a highly fictionalized version of yeah. the events, but but uh, the, the the second episode covers the Flatwoods Monster um, from West Virginia in 1952. So that was pretty interesting to see their take on it. Well, is it entertaining at least? Yeah, I I thought it was entertaining. It, it was, but you know, knowing so much about the cases as I do. Um, you see the fictional the fictionalization, like you see what is is like. You're like, that's not what was reported, <laughs> you know. Like that kind of interferes with my enjoyment. Because like a in bit.
1: in the, now in the trailer, they show like almost an X Files moment where Jalen Allen Heineck is talking to an alien like in a in a tank.
2: It's totally X Files. It ha- totally has that feel. I, I would, okay. yeah, I would say that they're they're really using like an, that as like a 1960s X Files. Yeah, absolutely. I,
1: and that's exciting. But the thing is, Mark O'Connell, who we've had in the show a couple of times, and actually I wanted to bring him on to talk about this. And we will, when the season's over, maybe do a, a compare and contrast in yeah. the episodes.
2: And, and a member member of our childhood Scooby gang. Yes. <laughs> he is so offended
1: yeah. by Project Blue Book. Like, first of all, because I think they took a lot of information out of his book, the uh, The Close Encounters Man.
2: Right. Well, I mean, he did the... He did the real research. I mean, I think that's the rub, that he knows what really happened, and he thinks it's good enough to be that story. To, to and, th- and then people are going to watch this highly fictionalized version of events, and it, they're going to think, well, that's what really happened to Jalen Hynek. So, you know, why not just dramatize the real story? I think that's his issue with it. Sure.
1: Well, that and I think if they, if they mined his book and didn't give him any credit, he's probably a little rightly oh, upset about that. Absolutely. Um, but New York Times featured an article uh, this week specifically, and they used Mark as a fact checker. So oh, So they, nice. they called Mark to check the facts, written by Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Keene. They're the ones who brought us the big New York Times December 2017 bombshell that actually the guy from Blink-182... Might know something about yeah. UFOs.
2: <laughs> well, I, no, just that the Pentagon was actually studying the UFO phenomenon. May, it may well uh, still be doing that.
1: Right. And But they, uh, they said the thing like, uh, the name of the article is, Project Blue Book is based on a true UFO story. Here it is. And, of course, the picture oh, they wow. show is Aidan Gillen as Jalen Hynek talking to the alien in the tank, you know, like it's Independence yeah. Day. But,
2: but then it also says there's flagrant embellishment.
1: Right. Well, of course, there's going to be flagrant blame. And then they have a picture of the real J. Allen Hynek. And they talk about the fact that Project Blue Book did uh, research tens of thousands of cases and did come up with about 700 that they could not find possible explanations for. And, you know, some people online are also saying that uh, Project Blue Book is another way of preparing us for disclosure.
2: Mm, Yeah. You know, and I'm ready. Right. I am ready for the.
1: (laughs) Now, the thing is, we didn't get into this with Robbie last week as much as I wanted to. Disclosure. Why would they not... Like, what's the advantage of not telling us the fact that we've been talking to UFOs? Like, what
2: is going to... Well, what's
1: going to change I, the world about... I mean, besides I, that we, we... I
2: think so- it, it uh, opens the government up to a lot of legal cases, perhaps, you know, like... Uh, Air Force pilots going missing, you know, or being shot down by UFOs, like the famous Thomas montell case, I believe. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if they disclose, oh, oh, we knew all about it, then people might say, well, you could have done something preventative. You know, so I think think uh you know by saying they can you know they don't know anything about it uh, or disavowing that it could be true uh, you know they're they're um, taking themselves out of you know legal some, some at least some legal responsibility and they're also um, saying to people that oh there's nothing to it instead of saying uh oh there is something to it we don't know what it is and we can't, we have no control over it or nothing we can do about it well i think it's like
1: a like a somebody that cheats on their spouse or something like that. Like, if they said it right away, they might get away with it. Not get away with it, but they might be able to work through it or whatever. Um, but if they keep it going for like a year or whatever, like, oh, now it's bad. I mean, it always was bad, but now it's like something you're like, oh my God, uh, yeah. you're, you're keeping secrets. So I think if the uh, U.S. government, because now we're not in the age of as much secrecy, at least that we know about, as it was in the 50s and 60s. And this is kind of what I wanted to get to for what I wanted to talk about this week was that you know they really, you know, talk about MK Ultra, the CIA keeping things from us. J. Edgar Hoover, you know, when his FBI like just uh, bugging everybody without a wiretap, you know, yeah. kind of thing, and using that as blackmail um, to get what he wanted politically. All of those kind of things in the '50s and '60s, it really feels like th- there was the normal populace. So what we've referred to as like the golden age, you know, '50s, picket fences, happy days. Things like that. And then, right. the, you know, the government's keeping things f- from us, quote unquote, for our own good. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, that's, that's the time they were doing like plutonium experiments. Let's release a cloud of plutonium over Seattle and see what happens. You know what happens. Hipsters. This is why we have hipsters. <laughs> because of the cloud of plutonium. You know, but the thing is the Department of Energy had to come out in the 90s and... Uh, apologize, They're like, oh yeah, there yeah, there was some extra cancer because oops, we thought yeah. we'd just dump a clot of plutonium over things, and then m k ultra and then they you know they 're giving people acid and they 're freaking out, and like mm-hmm. so this whole thing of this shadow government in america 's golden age. Uh, it's terrifying. And I think if now if they're going to reveal that, they're going to make people lose trust in the government even more. So I think Absolutely. they just kept the secret too long that even if they, it would be a good time for disclosure, they're like, oh, this is going to make, yeah, this is going to make us look really bad. Really bad. And that whole secrecy thing, now we are talking today on Martin Luther King Day. Mm-hmm. So That's you, when we're recording. If you guys have the, if you have the day off, good Anya. Hope you're enjoying it. And uh, you're probably listening to this today, so we hope you enjoyed your day off and did something stupid and crazy. But so here just came on TMZ. Reputable uh, source. Over the weekend. Well, a <laughs> reputable source. 60 prominent citizens are marking Martin Luther King Day for calling for new investigations into the assassinations of four men the big ones of the 1960s John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, and Malcolm X. This is the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. They believe all four assassinations were a result of conspiracies that were covered up by the government. Now, JFK, obviously, that's been one everybody's talked about for years. They think that it could be the Sam Giancana and the mafia Mm -hmm. had him offed. They think it might be the CIA. Mm -hmm. They think it might be heads of the military because he was thinking about uh, leaving Vietnam. That's a big one. But members of the Truth and Reconciliation Committee include Oliver Stone, who made the JFK movie. Right. now, this is where it gets. Okay. Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Because everybody's like, Alec Baldwin, that man to me says truth. <laughs> Martin Sheen, who played John F. Kennedy famously. Mm-hmm. Rob Reiner.
2: Rob Reiner. Rob, oh, my gosh.
1: Meathead from All in the Family wants the truth. Uh, Mort Saul, who's like 91 years old. He was a political me- comedian that was popular in the 60s. Uh, Daniel Ellsberg from the Pentagon Papers. Okay, now Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Mm -hmm. the son of RFK. Now, he doesn't believe that Sirhan Sirhan, who's the man convicted of killing his father in 1960, he doesn't believe that Sirhan Sirhan killed his father. He thinks there was a second gunman and that Sirhan Sirhan was framed. And, you know, what I always thought was he had to be framed because he's got Sirhan Sirhan is like a name made for like he's going to be like it's going to be Sirhan Sirhan at Caesar's Palace. You know, like that kind of he's got a name made for celebrity. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is also like an anti-vaxxer type. Mm -hmm. So he's he's not one to shy away from conspiracies
2: or controversy.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, he'll talk about it like he's one of the. the thing is. He'll say it. He doesn't sound crazy. He's done research and things like that. And I think he's been in a few documentaries. So he's now on the shy way. Uh, but also Coretta Scott King. Wow. Oh, man. Martin Luther King's wife. She, you know, she thought that um, uh, Martin Luther King was a sad... Assass- in fact, the King family sued the government and the local town and stuff like that and said they were responsible for his death, that they didn't get enough security in there, that James Earl Ray wasn't the only shooter. There was a criminal mm-hmm. conspiracy, she thought, to kill her husband. You know, so now we got conspiracy. So this is the call to they're celebrating today by issuing a new call for investigations into the deaths of these people. Right,
2: and so it's 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 really cool that um, his family is involved. Like, um, well, Coretta has left us, but um, his, I think it said his nephews involved. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, we had a couple of Kennedys involved. um, And and you forgot to say David Crosby. Oh, my God. I did forget. David
1: David Crosby. David Crosby, that walrus of a man, is also uh, in, you know, and also isn't he the biological father of (laughs) Melissa Etheridge's child?
2: I think so. But will he write a song about this effort? I mean, that would be cool. He would have to.
1: He'd have to write a song. He'd have to get it out from under that mustache. (laughs) (laughs) I think he can do it I think he can But yeah David Crosby's calling For the truth Because when we think (laughs) Of truth We think about David Crosby And Alec Baldwin Coming together (laughs) To finally reveal The truth But no It's cool I mean celebrities Can bring Celebrities can bring uh, Attention to a story Uh, Well
2: and David Crosby Has you know So many songs From the time That's true Right. He, he felt that something was going on at the time. Yes. And that's the reason for a lot of his songwriting. But, but
1: when I think about yeah. this particular, uh, you know, these particular assassinations, the 1960s, I find it more believable because of the, the shadow government that was going on. So, you know, how could these people keep secrets for, you know, 50 years now? Well... Number one, records are sealed, like J. Edgar Hoover's recordings. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, J. Edgar Ho- Hoover famously has a recording of um, Dr. Martin Luther King, like, trying Having
2: to... Having an indiscretion, let's say.
1: Well, it's trying to arrange a sex party at a Washington, D.C. hotel. And... Uh, so he's he, having an indiscretion with sex party is quite an indiscretion. But what he does is he's sending it, he's trying to blackmail him because he thinks that Martin Luther King is a communist, even though in the, the uh, Southern Conference Leadership Council or whatever, whatever this SCLC was, um, they said you can't be a communist sympathizer with join. So, mm-hmm. But JFK was trying to get it out that Martin Luther King was a communist. So he sends him this audio recording he has. But Coretta opens it first uh oh yeah right so i mean but the thing is like that recording is sealed for another 10 years and there's other records he paid played a, played a recording for jackie kennedy and all these things so one of the reasons we can't get the truth is for some reason they can they can say yeah the recordings exist of these people but we we're sealing them for 50 years yeah like con- g- by an act of congress we're sealing. we're why not gonna, are gonna they- give
2: yeah we're not gonna give them to you that's uh yeah well why how is that okay
1: you know, like, I want to, whatever elected official decided to do that, let's vote the bum out. Yeah. I, I mean, not that I care this much. I mean, Dr. King did a, a amazing, wonderful things. And I'm going to sully the man's memory. <laughs>
2: but No, but, it, I'll, you know, all the recordings, all the documentation should be out there for everything and,
1: involved. And people should know that there was, I mean, the fact is that the FBI in the 1960s was like a personal intelligence arm of the J Edgar Hoover an unelected official the one of the most powerful men in the United States okay so are these things possible absolutely and that's yeah. that that kind of scares me so yes do i think we should have a uh, i i agree i agree with Rob Reiner i yeah. do oh,
2: open these records you know do a new investigation yeah you know one thing i didn't know about either
1: uh until i was reading about RFK this morning Robert F Kennedy Jr. sorry not the original Was that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is married to Cheryl Hines from Curb Your Enthusiasm?
3: Yes. Oh my (laughs) God.
1: So like, they probably have party. Like Larry David probably parties with (laughs) Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And I just love to be there. Like when you know, I I just imagine Larry David talking about a conspiracy theory, and it would be entertaining. Like I wish they would bring some of that to the show. So, uh, anyway, 1960s, um, like the, the you know the time that is portrayed in Project Blue Book was a time. Where the government was keeping a ton of things from the American citizenry, and they still are. Well, they told—I mean, they totally are. We, we kill people with robots. We have flying robots that kill people. Yeah, and um, like, this is the future. Yeah, we're living in the Terminator future. And I'm not saying that you know these things are necessarily bad, but it'd be nice to have some public oversight mm-hmm. of what's going on, especially when we're, assass- we're assassinating people. So um, yeah, I just thought that was a really interesting thing, and with all the Project Blue Book and 1960s kind of. 1960s conspiracy paranoia going on to then reintroduce this on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, who uh, that great man was, um, there's a conspiracy itself, that people yeah. think that, that his murder uh, assassination was a conspiracy itself. And James Earl Ray did not pull the trigger, and that was believed by his wife. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if Alec Baldwin finally finds the truth. <laughs> um, I, just, I just, when they, when, you know, when TMZ talks about it and they talk about David Crosby, can you imagine David Crosby going like door to door as an investigator? You know, like, oh, what did you see in 1968?
2: <laughs> I'd like to see it.
1: <laughs> Do you have any blow? I'm tired. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> well, he went to jail. Mike. Hey, he went to jail. I can make fun of him. Okay. Anyway, so that that's my story for the week. Allison, you also have a UFO-related kind of thing, don't yeah, you?
2: Yeah, I'm back on the Oumuamua. Oh, right. my gosh. Oumuamua was in the New Yorker. And, I mean, that's big news, I think, because they don't usually cover strange phenomena or... Uh, possible alien in, uh, evidence of alien intelligence. Yeah, the New Yorker is yeah. no
1: Fortean Times, let's right. say. Right, absolutely or not. Or Fate magazine. Yeah,
2: yeah. And uh, so they had an article this week about it, and uh, the reason that um, I paid extra attention to it is it was an interview with um, Abraham Avilob from um, Harvard. He is the head uh, of the astronomy department there at Harvard. And, uh, and we they just, had a. Interview. We just talked
1: about him the last couple right. episodes too because right. he's he, everywhere. He's all over the news. Avi Loeb is everywhere.
2: Yeah, so they they talked to him as well, and talked to him about Oumuamua and what made it such a strange thing. Uh, And he had several reasons, and he really, um, you know, the thing about it is, it's it's really a a good article. I would encourage everyone to read it because it's kind of combative in a way. Well, the New New Yorker is
1: known for its quality writing.
2: Yes. So, so the interview is a little seems a little bit contentious at points, but um, most interesting to me is that uh, the interviewer really gets uh, Avi to uh, talk about these. Different reasons why uh, Oumuamua is so peculiar, and
1: it's, why 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 is it so peculiar?
2: Yeah, well, there's s- several di- different reasons. We don't have a photo of it, so what you see uh, when you look on the web is that's an artist um, depiction of it. You mean right? The, this imagination they of what they it could didn't be. Just
1: take their cannon up, so that, like their. Uh, DSLR up to the International Space Station and pop a shot of well, it. Well,
2: you know they they could have they could have actually taken a shot of it if they had known about it uh, a little bit earlier. Oh, but really? but it, well, got it got too far away. It got too far away to take a photo, and that's why one of the reasons why Avi Loeb said he wrote the paper that uh, intimated that it might be it might be a probe, uh, sent by alien intelligences. He said he did that because one of the reasons is he wants people to when they see uh, astronomers when they see uh, something so strange, to take notice and collect more data on it and get a picture. And uh, because everything we have now about it is based on the math. And so this was really delineated well in the article. So it, it I I actually had to read it like several times over, but I think I I have it down. So here's one of the reasons: it it this Oumuamua, uh, which was discovered October 19th, 2017, uh, this uh, interstellar object, you know, coming into our solar system, uh, spotted by um, the telescope on top of Maui's uh, Mount Haleakala. Um, it, it shouldn't even be here. And that's something that one of the reasons that Abby put out in his paper. Wait, why shouldn't it be here? Like, what well, is it? Well, like, he you said make it sound it's, like
1: like you weren't invited. like, well, a, like there's an intergalactic party. This and is a, a the a first
2: moon. interstellar. Like, smells bad. The first interstellar object that has come into our solar system, he says, and it, it's out of range uh, because you know, although you know, comets come in, they have uh, a way of propulsion. They have. Um, they have gases that um, that degrade and outgas and push the the comet forward. That's their way of movement. But this object was like no comet and like no asteroid that has ever been encountered by a scientist before. So it's not gassy. So it's not gassy. <laughs> Thank God. So um, and it, it's out of range uh, because everything that is moving in the solar system is moving at a certain rate. And so this object to be here has to have some cor- kind of propulsion to get it here in the first place. Mm. And the movement is also too slow compared to other objects around it. So like in doing the math, this is this is what they discovered.
1: So it, it doesn't have, a they don't know what's propelling it. Right. And also it's not... Reacting to to the same gravity as other things, would yes, be, just be, to be right. yanked it's, around. It's the
2: out of orbit, according to what you would expect from okay. from you know regular gravity. All right. So they're like, what you know, what is propelling this thing, and it, it's moving too slow, as if you know it's under you know some kind of intelligent control, perhaps, and it spins every eight hours, and. This is unchanging. I mean, objects can tumble in space, but the regularity, the periodicity of it—every eight hours spinning—was um, strange. Also, the, the shape uh, is strange. Like uh, in the depictions, the artist uh, interpretations that you see online, you, you know, they, they show it um, as kind of a cigar-shaped. Yeah, it looks like a rock,
1: big space log.
2: Right, big space log, but. Um, <laughs> Avi Loeb and others think that it it might actually be pancake shaped based on the math. Ooh. So the the math shows now that I'm it is strangely shaped compared to any other space object that has ever been encountered. So people were wondering, well, is it a comet if it has some kind of propulsion? So they did um, calculations and collected data on that point, And they found out there's no evidence that those kinds of particles coming from uh, the comet, it's not gassy. And okay. uh, so everything that usually shows up as evidence of a comet, they can't find any evidence surrounding Oumuamua okay that that it's a comet at all um and it's shiny it's uh by a factor of 10 like uh usually um the brightness of an object is uh, a factor of three and this this one is the brightest object and they said shiny which i was first like do they mean like you know like a sheen like like Chrome, I mean, what, yeah, the, what, they, what, what do right. they mean? But but it's not like an asteroid. Is is their their point? Hold it, on, now. how big is this thing though? Oh well, they think it's huge. That oh, right, you know, right. they don't they don't I mean, know exactly. Oh God, that's
1: huge. Like, uh, how huge? Like the, like ten miles across? Hundred miles across?
2: That's a good question. I don't think I don't think I, I I know that I don't have that information. But I don't know that they do. But but it's a huge object.
1: Because the thing is, a flying space pancake that's shiny, sure sounds like a (laughs) flying saucer I know,
2: right? And uh, it it was at the interviewer, too, it was interesting to me about, about he was like, well, don't you think we're primed to think it's alien by, you know, all these, all this media and everything out there? Of course, you know, people are going to jump to the conclusion that it's alien. And uh, Avi Love is like, No, Um, that's not why I'm making these assertions that it could be an intelligently controlled probe. Uh, I'm I'm making these assertions because of the science.
1: Well, okay, real quick. So the the diameter of it, they've had a, a few different ideas of what the diameter might be. So they can't estimate its shape because it's just not big enough. It's not a big enough celestial body. Um, to determine the actual size but they the estimates of the shape range from four hundred and forty meters to hundred meters, so somewhere so the diameter of it i mean the thing is that seems tiny right there's i mean that's is that even a football field, well, I guess it's a football field right four hundred forty meters is a quarter of a mile, yeah, or a little over a quarter of a mile a little over,
0: uh, okay, maybe not tiny it's still <laughs> big like
3: but for a vessel for a craft
1: right yeah. it's it's perfectly because the thing is I mean we have. Aircraft carriers that are larger than that.
3: Um, I was going to say the Queen Mary's in that range.
1: Yeah, yeah. the Titanic was as big as a big ship. Big crash. But the thing is, so this <laughs> is so what could this be an alien ship? that this flying gigantic space pancake.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, well, here's here's Avi Loeb's point that. All all his assertions are based on the science. And he says just the fact that he mentioned that it could be alien makes everybody go nuts. And that's a problem. What makes me go nuts? That's a a prejudice that people are having. And how are we going to know if something does show up? And he says that a quarter of the stars in our galaxy have an Earth-like planet. And as uh, Sagan used to say, We have billions and billions of stars, tens of billions of stars in our galaxy. So when you take that into account that 25% of them have uh, Earth-like planets with uh, the conditions that are appropriate for the development of life, then he said, you know, it doesn't seem that unlikely that there could be other civilizations out there he said you know maybe this was a probe that they sent out like we sent out probes uh and maybe that society is no longer with us anymore we uh we don't know that but he's saying, actually descended into he, a planet of he's saying the peculiar acceleration, acceleration and shape of this thing really seemed to suggest that it could be alien and if it was any other kind of assertion. Uh, People wouldn't have gone nuts.
0: So you're saying there's a chance. Yeah,
2: there's a, definitely a chance. But it's interesting how the the uh, the uh, reporter from from the New Yorker he he said that uh, you know that oh well you know don't you think you're primed to see aliens and you know just that fact that you know we're primed to see aliens somehow means that they don't exist well that's like saying well you know i don't think love can exist because of all those romantic comedies everywhere well <laughs> and what about i firmly there's believe no police work because of all those police procedural shows that are populating our consciousness so you know just because it is covered by the media uh, or it is you know a subject of fascination doesn't mean that it can't exist well
1: you know i uh I've been reading a lot of quotes by him lately. And the thing is, I, I think... Avi, our uh, friend Avi. Avi. <laughs> um, you know, and while I think he's well-spoken and obviously he's extraordinarily intelligent, um, he's also the perfect agent of disinformation. You think so? He, it, no, I'm not... I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm not saying he's could even... Could be. Because I don't know the point of the disinformation. You know, I don't know why they would, but he's the perfect guy to deliver mm-hmm.
2: it. Well, could be, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, and he's said that, you know, it might not be... But he thinks there's enough of a chance that he wants to be the guy associated with it if it is found out that, that that's actually extraterrestrial. Yeah,
2: he's like, damn it, I'm gonna be scientifically brave and put myself out there. In that
0: there. ring, like the first one,
1: you know. So, but the thing is, like, so when we think about Area 51 stuff that came out in the late 1980s, and um, I mean, that was probably a plant, you know. I believe that I believe that was a plant. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that Avi Loeb was a plant because it might be great if there actually was something uh, right. out there.
2: But we've got to keep that into consideration. But
1: I always think like, okay, this, this is the lead astronomer at Harvard. So yeah. it's, it's kind of – I mean, he's the kind of guy that if you want to pick – uh, to the rubes or whatever, the world's smartest astronomer, you bring the guy from the world's most famous university. Which is Harvard, yeah. And then you say, like, oh, he's the head astronomer, and he's telling us it might be aliens. Okay. Ugh. Or is he distracting us from the fact that it's coming like, to get a, us. like a de- like it's a bomb from another world? You know, oh. <laughs> coming to get us. You know? Well, the government figures it out, so nobody panics. You know, I don't know. I'm just... I'm just I think he he's really well-spoken. Right. And I love his arguments. And I, I'm glad The New Yorker pushed back a little bit because I think a lot of magazines and websites now, when they see, I mean, Robbie was talking about this last week. When people see... You have aliens in the subject line. Click, <laughs> click, 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 click. So all the reporters talking to him are just thinking, you know what? You know, the pr- reporter at the Guardian is thinking, you know, I, I love to get an alien story here. The reporter at Live Science, the reporter yeah. at the BBC, the- all they're thinking is, I might get a promotion if I get the most clicked story this week or I might get a bonus. Yeah. So that somebody, somebody says like, okay, could be aliens, but let's get all the natural explanations out of the way first. And that's, I think, J. Allen Hynek, that's the legacy of J. That's what J. Allen Hynek would do. Absolutely. He wouldn't be like, it's aliens. He'd be like, let's make sure it's not swamp gas before we make sure we, yeah. we say that it's aliens.
2: And I, I feel, too, that, you know, in terms of Ivy being um, like a government, some kind of government stooge, uh, I don't know, because... Uh, well, I don't think it's a stooge. I think you he know, might be in charge. Okay. <laughs> well, that... I think the fact that he's been involved in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence Makes before— Makes him a perfect plant. Well, he, he's also chairman of a, a $100 million initiative called Breakthrough Shot—Breakthrough uh, Starshot, excuse me. So Breakthrough Starshot is a program looking for extraterrestrial life. Was oh, that the Russian one?
1: The guys—the Russian millionaire or whatever they found
2: oh, it? Oh, I— Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, we talked about that
1: three years ago. So
2: it's a $100 million program of astronomical observations in search of evidence of intelligent life beyond Earth. But my favorite part of this is they also have a breakthrough message challenge. And it, it doesn't say who can compete, but I'm feeling like we might be able to throw our hat in the ring. It says there's a one million dollar comp- competition, a one million dollar competition to design a message representing Earth, life, and humanity that could potentially be understood by another civilization. So uh, the aim is to encourage humanity to think together as one world and to spark public debate about the ethics of sending messages beyond. I wanna know how can we get that one million dollars?
0: Who exactly judges this contest? right.
2: right.
1: It, Simon it, Cowell. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> he, he does
1: it. So he's gonna judge my nude selfie that's gonna be a message to the alien.
2: <laughs> Something that everyone yes. will understand. And you know I've just, been
1: working out, alien. <laughs>
2: just you know something that everyone will find universally abhorrent no matter what galaxy they're from
1: (laughs) it unites us Mike I'm just saying if a muamua ends up being a a death ray or like some kind of bomb or whatever and my naked selfie saves the planet then you'll be eating your words while I'm enjoying my one million (laughs) dollars that's true okay one million we should move on from the aliens because we've given a lot of time we've given a lot of time to our uh, our Sprays brothers Absolutely. All right. We've also had some other cool stories in the week, right?
0: Yes, yes. There's an exciting bit of news regarding another missing airplane.
1: What what airplane's that?
0: Well, the missing plane would be the UC 64A Norseman aircraft that was carrying none other than Glenn Miller himself back in 1944. On December 15th, 1944, he went missing. He was on his way to Europe to entertain the troops, the very weary allied troops. And uh, you know Glenn Miller, right. the hottest act of the World War II era.
1: Every time you see a World War II movie, it's always like they always start with Moonlight Serenade or In the Mood or Da-da, whatever. <laughs>
0: you know. And so his plane went missing. And of course, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories regarding whether it might have been shot down or what other kind of... Uh, potential military activity might have created his missing plane, but...
3: This is like accidental, not like he's an assassination target. Glenn Miller got too close to the truth.
1: Right, (laughs) right. Well, well, also, it was a lot of friendly fire. People were saying that he was killed by...
0: Yeah, it could have been a lot of different things, but the prevailing opinion is that it just, the plane iced over, you know, they were over the English Channel and it just went down and was never found. But someone has come forward now and stated that he, this fisherman from England, who is known cleverly as Mr. Fisher. (laughs) (laughs) Or Mr. Fisher or (laughs) Falkland Miller. He is claiming that back in 1987, which, you know, I love when these news stories come out from 1987, that he was trolling around and he caught some of the wreckage in his fishing net. So he pulled up the wreck. And then he was utterly convinced that it was Miller's aircraft. But then he was advised to drop it back down (laughs) right where he found it. So he claims that he scooped up some wreckage. He was absolutely convinced that it was the Glenn Miller airplane. And then uh, this article on People.com simply says in the passive voice that he was advised to drop it. So I'm not sure, you know, if it was the Coast Guard or right, or <laughs> who specifically said to not bring this evidence forward at that time, but he was advised not to. And so he dropped it down, but cleverly, he recorded the coordinates. So they want to, you know, see if they can go back there and try to find it. And they think that it would be very identifiable because of the nature of the airplane. Apparently it's a unique combination of the engine that was in there, as well as the plane itself, this is part of the problem. It wasn't a solid metal, you know, it was a steel frame okay. that had fabric wrapped around it, which, wow, does that sound terrifying? Yeah, that oh, sounds yeah. like
1: he's flying an ultralight, John Denver style, across the English Channel.
0: Yeah, and wooden, you know, there was a lot of wood used in it. Sure, as, so, as you do with planes. Yeah, so given the fact that, you know, that was 75 years ago there's not going to be much left to to identify it. However, the fuselage, they think because of that, it would just be like a steel frame. And it was built with a really specific type of Pratt and Whitney engine known as a wasp. So they think if they can identify that wasp engine and that steel tube, you know, frame that they can confirm that it is in fact, the Glenn Miller wreckage. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, they, they, they're going to go and try to, to get some images to see if they can identify or further confirm that it looks like this. But it would be nice to have that mystery solved after all these years.
1: You know, I think that's really interesting. Number one, because first of all, I mean, Glenn Miller was so famous. You get a guy who's got so many chart hits in the beginning yeah. of like the, you know, the, the pop era. Uh, kind right. of deal. And It's so famous that he's in every World War II movie. Like people just use his music and that is the oral... Uh, Oral cue, That's the yeah,
2: the, tr- the trigger object, if you will, for that era. Yeah,
1: you hear you hear a Glenn Miller big band song, and you're like, oh, I'm you know I'm I'm looking at something from the 1940s. So he's so identified right. with it, and then it's like, oh, I, you know one of these days. I remember I was like, oh, I was listening to, like some Glenn Miller stuff on YouTube. I'm like, whatever happened to Glenn Miller? And then you read about his disappearance, and then people theorize that Glenn Miller, because he also had served in the military. As right. someone who was you know in the like the military band, like Glenn Miller wasn't packing you know machine guns and stuff like that they didn't they didn't send Glenn Miller to kill Hitler, let's say
0: yeah. <laughs> no, but we know whose side his band was on <laughs> that's right because he was part of their team,
1: but he was military, and also some people have suggested that he might have been a spy i don 't know what he'd been spying about, oh man um,
2: oh it's kind of like going back to uh Harry Houdini as a spy, yeah, right, you know because. Uh, you can get into places if you're a well-known entertainer.
1: That's exactly right. Well, that's why Elvis, I mean, that's right, why Elvis yeah. re- met Richard Nixon. Is like, hey, baby, I could be in the FBI. <laughs> I
2: want to be a spy. <laughs> or like, um, who's that guy from like Hong Show? Remember that oh, movie Burris. that he put out about him being a spy yeah, with that was
1: Sam George, Rockwell? Oh, yeah, George Clooney. That was a movie directed. That was a, a uh, really good movie, uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Right, mm-hmm.
2: that that he was, you know, Chuck Ferris could get in anywhere. Yeah, nothing. A but... really fine guy until he pops yeah. your cap in your ass. Sorry. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> Oops, <laughs> so I anyway, got I got too excited about that. That's all right. This
0: is exciting news potentially, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, they they have to make sure they're pretty confident before they send a diver down because I guess it's 130 feet to get to the seabed, and as they say, it's the world's busiest shipping lane. That old English channel. That's right. There's people that swim across the English channel, too.
1: Like, that's a challenge yeah, that's people do.
0: To... But it'll be interesting to see if, if what Mr. Fisher thinks he <laughs> found.
1: What, what he, he found, out, huh? Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Which he dropped back down there in 1987, uh, if that's actually it. So that was an interesting news story that I was intrigued by. That's awesome, yeah.
3: Wendy. It, it's really neat that, you know, he was 40 years old, and, and he, you know, the war was going on, and he he wanted to be involved. He first tried to petition the Navy to... Let him do something. Mm-hmm. And they said, no, thank you. We're busy right now. And, uh, and then, so then he went to the army and said, I want to create a modern uh, army band. And I'll, I will be the leader of it. And, and so they brought him aboard. And that's why he was wow. out there trying to keep morale up and entertain the troops and all that good stuff. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's so
0: sad to lose him. He, he felt young... the
3: call to service, even though he was past fighting age. When you think about World War
1: II, like people really wanted to go to World War II. You know, they, they mm-hmm. were... Like, I think after Pearl Harbor, everybody was just, like, they wanted to fight. You know, we think our uncle lied about his age. Yeah. Like, he, you know, he was only 16 years old. He lied about his age so he could go over to Europe to fight.
2: Yeah.
1: And when I think about when I was 16 years old, if somebody's going to send me over to the Middle East, that'd have been like, nope. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to die for oil. But these people wanted to defend something. They wanted to fight for They wanted to fight for the freedom of these countries and... I, re- I really I, I admire those guys because I think that's brave as hell. Yeah. And uh, I ain't got that, so I admire the men that do.
2: Yeah, well, maybe if we have the right enemy.
1: Well, like the aliens coming, dropping off of a Mua Muamua
3: like, <laughs> <laughs> like, And anytime you're on the same side as Indiana Jones, you're doing all right. Yes. yes.
0: We could then volunteer to be Earth's band representative. Every that's, that's right. Just, oh, oh my it. gosh, We could be the first band in the Space Force.
2: Oh, <laughs> yes. wow. Yes. <laughs> Okay. That's your landmark right there. I already
0: have a... I have a dream. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Speaking of uh, missing persons, (laughs) I think that's a nice segue into Scott's story for the week. Yeah. Let's go all
3: the way back to... uh, how we all first... Well, not all, because oh. you guys were, like, related, so you guys go Yes, yeah, so unfortunately, <laughs> how, how I know you guys. <laughs>
2: That's right. <laughs>
3: uh, you, you had me on the Smiley Face Killer episode uh, back in the double-digit era of your uh, episode <laughs> titles. Um, and it's come back to the forefront again. It's never really gone away, but there's a new miniseries coming out, the Smiley Face Killers, The Hunt for Justice. And That'll appear on oxygen, and it it goes back to this theory that was advanced in the early 2000s by two retired New York City sergeants that there's a string of drownings across America from the East Coast, well, from New York, where they first started looking into it, uh, at least through the Midwest, where the victims are uh, all male, usually about college age. Caucasian, athletic, intelligent, um, and they are found drowned. These retired uh, police officers believe that these are all linked cases. And when this first came out, uh, when when their theory was first brought out, they talked about 40 different cases that took place in 29 different cities, which is fascinating and interesting, but you would wonder, like, there's a serial killer that has a lot of mileage on their car. If they're driving back and forth and back and forth, uh, for the lucrative job of killing random <laughs> individual guys here and there, well now we're a decade passed when they first announced their findings or their theories, and they believe that there 's a, a total of one hundred cases and possibly another two hundred mur- um, and fifty linked deaths and this was really fueled by the fact that one of their proposed cases, Chris Jenkins, uh, who died Halloween night in Minneapolis in 2002 eventually with a lot of prodding and outside force the police did four years after identifying it as a accidental drowning uh, they did change their finding to be homicide and I think that added a lot of fuel to the fire and and told them that they were on the right track Uh, whether they were or not that they took that as an endorsement and no other case has yet been turned around to look the other way yet to, to be ruled a homicide um, I don't know. The, the more I, I look into this, the more you know. They may be right. There, there may be more cases out there that should not be brushed off as accidental death by drowning. That maybe there is some if it was some term to a murder. Um, that one hundred to three hundred and fifty people, twenty years or so, uh, and, and, and their belief is that there is a an underground network on the dark web of people. That have these murder cells in different cities that they're all communicating together. They originally identified it by their estimation, there's 12 people per cell. That of those 12, every so often, five people will get dispatched to go out and commit a murder. And it's a different five people and they mix it up. Um, And then that's. Is there an app for that? What's that?
1: Is it like an Uber for serial killing that you can get? (laughs) Oh, yeah, hey, I've been called.
2: I gotta go. Yeah, and yet another opportunity. Yeah, this guy's this guy's for financial
1: gain. This guy's wasted. He's right by a bridge. Yeah, no, it's it's
3: actually it's it's three X right now because it's late. And you know what? They (laughs) never leave a review. (laughs) (laughs) But
1: that five stars was painless. Went quick.
2: Well, let me ask you this because I know other podcasts have been talking about this too and um, talking about maybe, uh, you know, it's just not a murder cult, but maybe it's a vampire murder cult or uh, maybe it's some kind of uh, magic um, group, you know, like some black magic Um group of people that is looking for sacrifices. Uh there's been all kinds of things that have bandied about been bandied about uh regarding that. And you know, some some have suggested that that some of the bodies were actually drained of blood. And I don't know if there is any if, if there's any veracity to that, but you know, you know a lot more about it than I do, Scott. So I just wanted to Um, Send that your way and see what you had to say about it, because I've heard this on other shows.
3: Sure. Um, Well, I I can speak to what had gone on in La Crosse, Wisconsin, uh, because that's how I was first introduced to it. Um, And and a a shout out to a recently lost partner in this uh, case is Neil Sanders, who was the deputy medical examiner. Up in La Crosse, who brought aboard Jay Bichochan, who was the head of the paranormal investigation team, the Wisconsin Paranormal Investigators, and Jay in turn brought me in as the documentary filmmaker behind uh, the the doc we did, "The Hidden Truth." So, you know, we can just look at those dozen or so cases that come out of the La Crosse area, and there that is not something that came up at all in those cases. So okay. Yeah. Nobody
1: was drained of blood or anything like that. Yeah, because right? I
2: was like. Right. If they were drained of blood, that would have been
1: reported, right? I mean. It's a, it's a miracle to me, I think. Not a miracle. It's amazing to me that in this day and age where we can look things up with the on our phone when we're in the pooper or whatever, whatever we're doing, <laughs> like we can look something up immediately that people are still going to be like, oh, yeah, the bodies were drained of blood. And other people will be like, yeah, my buddy told me that. You know, I yeah. feel like even though the, tr- I, the truth is right there, it seems like a lot of people still aren't looking it up.
2: Well, to that point, what uh things did did Neil remark on as, as far as you know his autopsies of the bodies?:
3: you know th- there was actually nothing spectacular about him, w- which is maybe an interesting aspect th- There were no signs of struggle, there, there were no um, wounds that happened pre-mortem, uh, you know no desecration of body or anything like that. Uh, for Neil, why he, as somebody in a place of power and backed by science and authority, why he brought it up and, and thought we need a paranormal investigation behind it is that it's happening so regularly a- as we talk about the description of the victim is the same it's you know college age male athletic well educated, uh people that perhaps could. Go swimming in the river late at night and have the physical ability to get themselves back out, but really it was the regularity of the deaths. They were so commonplace, they were so regular. And meanwhile, you could look just upriver to, uh, and, and by all means, Lacrosse is a heavy drinking college town. So uh, inexperienced drinkers getting themselves into trouble is not an unusual uh, concept. But you could look just upriver a little bit to Winona, uh, University of Winona, University of Minnesota at Winona. Uh, they've got a very similar college demographic. Their bar scene is a little bit closer to the river, and the river area is way more dangerous than it is in Lacrosse, which is well-lit, and there's guardrails up and, and whatnot. Um, but it's just not happening there. So why would it happen in one and not the other? And for him, he just felt like, you know, I've been looking into these cases for so long, and just it doesn't feel right anymore.
1: I think it's because Minnesotans don't know how to party. Oh,
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right? They just don't have it in them.
2: Yeah, so he just based on, you know, just common sense I and and yeah. his and his background, he felt like something is really going on here. What is it? You know, yeah. why are there so many deaths?
1: Well, the thing is these people um the investigators Anthony Duarte and Kevin Gannon, they haven't given this up over the, you know, no. they initially put this out. I remember that Ian Punnett from Coast to Coast cuz he lives in St. Paul. He featured that he really kind of introduced the story. Um, the first interviews with them and then it hit CNN and all that kind of stuff. And they, you know, even though this kind of died down and most police people think that, that the whole smiley face stuff and the idea of this murder cult and that there's thrill killers going around, uh, the country that it's, it's BS. Um, these guys still haven't given up on it and now they've moved a little bit. So this new show, like the first case that they talk about in this new show is to, Dakota James, mm-hmm. and this this happened in Pittsburgh, um, which you know Pittsburgh famously has three rivers, yeah. right? The Three Rivers Stadium, and there's mm-hmm. plenty of places for people to go and to drink. Mm-hmm. And you know they're saying that maybe uh, of the people that have died, and you know recently, um, a lot of them are gay. So maybe the, the 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 targets has been changed. So it used to be like these twenty to twenty five year old blonde athletic males and that maybe the, the hunt has changed, so now it's for gay guys. And they say 30 out of 45 of the people who have been found um, have had GHB in their system. Hmm. So now the idea is that are people being drugged, and then they come, they're come; being lured out of the bar, of the club, of the party, and then being tossed in. And I think that's the idea of some of this. Smiley Face Killers Hunt for Justice and that seems like what that's what they're going for now is the drownings that have happened since lacrosse, okay, um, yeah, you know it, it, that's what seems to happen, and you know I don't know I didn't get to see the first episode but I'm interested in you know to see exactly what happens because I. Obviously, the smiley case, uh, face killers fascinate me. And Scott, you should call the Oxygen Network. Call yeah. Oprah and see if you can be like, hey, we made a movie about this and get you and Jay on there for like, yeah. hey, we're into smiley faces too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, for anyone interested in, in listening to our conversation with them way back when, <laughs> it is episode yes. 47. And you can find that at othersidepodcast.com slash 47. But that'll give you a nice full uh, there we go. Yeah. introduction to everything.
3: And we here. should say like burying the, the, the lead – at least of the yeah. why is it called the smiley face killer? The, the belief okay. was that the the killers were basically kind of signing their work, leaving uh, an image of a smiley face behind. And in Lacrosse, a smiley face was only found at one of the sites uh, near one of the bodies. And of course, it's a very common symbol. You know, right. it's a very if you have right. a, a spray paint can in a limited amount of time, right. you can do three three little spray marks <laughs> and you have a smiley face. <laughs> so. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's a. Um, I mean, this is the kind of thing that people drown in the river. Now, it's it's hard to say. You know, nobody wants to think that somebody just gets too wasted and falls in the river. And when you find a pattern of it over time, you know, you want to you want to find somebody to blame for it.
2: Well, why isn't that still going on? People still get off their face every Saturday night, probably. Well,
1: in La Crosse, though, the Street Bridge that goes over the Mississippi River has also been built up. From where it was, like in the nineteen nineties and the two thousands, mm-hmm. it's. But well, what about Winona
2: now, or the, that's well, the community? Or in Winona, I
1: went on a state; they just don't drink as much, probably. No, I don't know. I'm just saying, in, in the cross, maybe one of the reasons it's harder to get over the bridge. But yeah. the, the bridge that Chris Jenkins went over, the Hennepin Avenue Bridge in Minneapolis, we go to it on the, on the Minneapolis Ghost Tour. Um, you guys been to that bridge? Like it. You have to, like, get a ladder to climb. Like, if he wanted to go over it, like, he could go down the stairs and then try to jump or something. There's, like, if you want to go over that bridge, you want to die.
3: But but here's the one that it was turned out to be a, they changed the determination to be homicide.
1: Right. And the thing is, if you were interested in jumping in or something like that, there's a a Washington uh, street bridge in Minneapolis that actually has a ton of ghost stories that goes by the university, that would be an easier place for people to jump in and kill themselves. And yeah. nobody, uh, actually, I think they have a couple of suicides, but nobody seems to randomly falls in the Mississippi River from that Washington Street Bridge.
2: Right. It's just interesting how it moves, it seems to move around. Like, I know that... Um, David from, uh who, who has uh, done the Missing 411 series, uh, he has presented on, and, and one of his books covers uh, similar river deaths um, in uh, England, in Manchester. And so it's just weird how it moves around, and, you know, you get like a, a, a flap, you know, like a mm-hmm. big bunch of deaths in, in such a short time. And then, oh, nope, it's over. I mean, that's what seems, the periodicity of it is what seems uh, very, very suspicious to me. Well, yeah. one
1: of the scariest things I ever heard was from, uh, I used to live with an ex-convict who hung out with in the underworld of, like, Kansas City. And this is before I heard about the smiley faces, or whatever. And he was just saying how, yeah, I mean, there was a, a ton of... People he knew, who would kill homeless people. They'd see somebody under a bridge, or you know, they'd be like, "Yeah, we you, you throw
3: people would throw them in yeah. th-
1: for a thrill."
2: And so these these people are this idea uncared that there, about, right? That there
3: Do you might think that was thr- real or there's somebody talking a hell of a game?
1: <laughs> well, you know, he said that he had witnessed it.
3: Oh yeah, okay.
1: But also, I mean. Take that with a grain of salt, yeah he I mean the guy couldn't even pay his rent but um, at the same time, it just scared me because there's an idea that you'd be so callous about human life that sure. you would just uh, if you're like, you know what I want to feel like what it means I'm gonna feel. What it's like to kill somebody? I'm gonna try it out on someone that uh, society has no value for, right? And then it won't even matter. And so I'm just gonna toss this guy over a thing. And you know, I think he was using it to tell a story of how these people that he used to run with were psychopaths that they had no feeling towards humanity, um, and and you know, they weren't normal. And maybe he was using that just to scare me. Maybe he liked the look in my eyes and yeah. I was terrified. <laughs> or as he heard me squeeze one out, I was like, you know, like I was telling these stories. But the thing is, that always makes me think of, okay, maybe there are people who could be like the smiley face murder club.
2: Absolutely. I don't see why there wouldn't be. I mean... Really? It, but that many of them? Well, That's a thing. I don't know. There is a dark web. There's was a the Silk Road. There's like lots yeah, the of illegal activity. Yeah,
1: it, it, somebody buying drugs is different than somebody saying, well, we're going to all get together and kill a dude.
2: Well, people... People like thrills, right? There's prostitution. You know, why wouldn't there be the most dangerous game? You know? Well, but the thing is that
0: they would have to communicate, and that communication is what would ultimately lead authorities to figuring it out. You would think so.
2: But unless it's like a prejudice type thing again. Oh, it can't be aliens. Oh, it can't be a murder club. We just don't even, you know, give that a chance. I mean, I think there's a lot of that going on. Well,
3: but with the idea, though, that there's you know, let's say, use their numbers that they gave: uh, 29 different cities, 12 people per city, and of course those that means at any given time there's like 350 people in this group.
0: It's a you know how hard it is to get three bands up over for a the show? years.
3: People have come in and come out, and they say that you know people age out and new recruits come in. So we're talking about let's say 500 or more people. Yeah. Nobody has spoken Squealed. up and said, hey. Listen, I want absolution. Well, that's the first rule <laughs> of Fight Club, isn't
2: it? You don't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, but Fight Club <laughs> yeah, was the,
3: the idea that 100 of the people said nothing. <laughs> it, that's it nope. seems
0: yeah. pretty outlandish. You'd think somebody would squeal.
3: I, you know,
1: you'd hope somebody would squeal.
0: But
2: then, who would yeah. listen to that? That—that's the thing. We got to look for. Uh, Areas where we have prejudices, we're like, oh, that that just seems ridiculous. Can't be that. And, you know, we got to look a little bit closer into those areas because, you know, I I don't I think that precludes, you know, future discoveries. If if we already think we know what everything is about. Well, I'm with you. And I think that
1: Anthony Duarte and Kevin Gannon, they are getting... Now they're getting the fat. I mean, they're getting an oxygen network. Series.
2: I know, and it was even covered in Cosmo. It's in Cosmo. <laughs> oh, boy. It's all
1: over. It's on Entertainment Online. Uh, it must be true. It's on Oprah's network. Yeah. Uh, so oh, I mean, Oprah is a member of the Smiling Face <laughs> Murder Club. The reason, right? The, the reason that nobody talks about it is because she gave them all. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Anyway, the jokes write themselves. But all right, that was a fun episode. It was fun talking about the latest in paranormal weirdness with you guys. Allison, if they want to find more about you, where can they do that?
2: Uh, MilwaukeeGhost.com and HawaiiParracon.com.
1: Scott, if they want to uh, see some of uh, your latest adventures, pictures, stories, where can they do that?
3: Yeah, definitely. Whatsyourghoststory.com and all over social media at Whatsyourghoststory.
1: And Wendy, if they want to listen to the latest in Sunspot's weird music, where can they find that?
0: Oh, yes, they can find that at sunspotuniverse.com. And Mike, where can they find the show notes for this episode?
1: Othersidepodcast.com slash 232. That's where also you're going to find a link to this week's song going on the theme of, well, the government's keeping something from us for our own good. Paternalism. They think that we can't handle it. Uh, They think that uh, they know what's best for us. And that we
2: need a big daddy.
1: And we need a big daddy to take care of it. Well, uh, this song is about that, and it's called... Father Knows Best. You can find that uh, at the show notes, othersidepodcast.com slash 232, or you can be able to find it on Spotify in the See You on the Other Side playlist. Now, Wendy, we got something that we're going to be doing really soon, and I want to talk to everybody about it because I want to invite them. Oh. I want to invite everybody to join us in a Patreon hangout coming soon.
0: Our f- and th- favorite paranormal party.
1: Yes, and that's where we get to hang out, talk about the weirdest stories, get feedback on the episodes, get ideas for new episodes, and basically uh, interact with the people who listen and love the show. Now, uh, if you would like to be invited to the very exclusive See You Other Side Patreon hangout, where can people find information where they can join up?
0: Oh, just check it out at OthersidePodcast.com slash donate.
1: Patreons are our favorite people. Uh, in particular, the man who gets a shout-out in every single episode because he is at the Patreon level. He's like an executive producer of the show. Yeah. And we'd like to thank Dr. Ned for all of his support.
0: Thank you, Ned. We love you, Dr. Ned.
1: <laughs> and all of our Patreons, we love you in the grossest, most inappropriate way. <laughs> and everybody out there, if, you would like to be all, if you'd like to be part of that special group, check it out, othersidepodcast.com slash donate.
3: Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time,
2: see you on the other side.
3: Come on, do demons
2: are real?